Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Alex Jobro is a short-term rental developer and manager. He was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. He served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years, where he was stationed in Washington, D.C., a part of the Marine Corps Honor Guard. He left the Marine Corps at 22 years old to pursue his career as a real estate professional. He is the founder and CEO of Sargon Investments, and he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Alex holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development, is currently fin finishing his doctorate in business with a concentration in leadership. He is the host of the YouTube channel, Alex Builds, where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term development and management. Alex, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, so listen, I'm, I'm excited. It's been really interesting for me because the concept of the short-term rentals, and we've had some guests on who sort of dabble in it and have mentioned it. You're you're sort of going in full force, including not only with existing properties, but moving into the development side, which is an area we haven't really covered the development for short-term rentals on the podcast. So I'm excited about that. But before we get into all that, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't a developer of short-term rental properties. I mean, even though you're a lot younger than me, I don't even know, was Airbnb even around? Probably not oh, when no. you were a kid. So the market yeah, didn't so. even necessarily exist of the VRBOs and the Airbnbs. So tell me, uh, what did you want to be back then? Oh my gosh, that's a phenomenal question. I mean, my mom, my mom has been a teacher whole, her whole life. So I think it was, I, I think we, I, I think the very first thing I thought about was like some sort of engineering. I think it was like aerospace engineering. That sort of what sort of caught my eye when I was like 14, 15, 16, before I decided to join the military. So like some sort of engineer. Yeah. Got it. Any, any, any parallels between those thoughts and what you, what you do now? Is there any sort of engineering element? I mean, you do develop, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, not really too much. I think what I really caught from that just was the value of education, especially after the military. I had never thought once I decided to join the Marine Corps, I had never thought I would even get my bachelor's degree, let alone a doctorate. Right. So I think just the value of education is probably what I pulled from that, both formal education and just reading books and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. One other question, looking back, what was your first deal of any type? Would it could be something small when you were a kid or early in your career? Yeah. So I've always, I've always, I don't know if it's just comes from my parents or something. I've always done things on a very big scale. And I think the very first memory I have of that when I was like nine or 10, I want to say nine, instead of just having like a normal, like lemonade stand or something, I did the lemonade stand or I sold, my mom had this little snow cone maker thing. Okay. So I did that for like a day and I made like 20 or $30 just like cranking out snow cones. 
And literally, I took that $30 and just went to the local grocery store with my mom and just bought everything like popsicles, water bottles, sodas, blah, blah, blah. And literally sold that on the side of blah, 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 like uh, like on the side, like right across from where my parents lived on the side of the street. And like we had made like $150 or whatever in that day, which at the time I was making more money than what my dad was making at the liquor store he was working at. So yeah, that was sort of like the first thing. And then we got like into it, like a little disagreement with one of the kids that I had lived with, with like how much money I owed him and something. It was really interesting because like, I always think about like, think back to that. Cause it's like the first business relationship that went sour or whatever. Very early on, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what, what drew you? All right. So we skip forward a bunch. You joined the Marine Corps, put in some time there. What drew you to real estate? Yeah. So four and a half years, sort towards the end of my enlistment, I would say last eight to 12 months, I decided I didn't want to re-enlist. So I really just dove deep into different investment classes, whether it be M&A, whether it be crypto, whether it be stocks, real estate. Real estate really drew my eyes. Same thing with M&A, just because I enjoyed the control that you could have over it. I enjoyed the value add or the value add really drew me that you can essentially control the, the the value of the asset based off how you manage it and what you do to it. So originally I was drawn to flipping and I had joined a flipping mentorship when I was still in the Marine Corps. And when I realized the gentleman that had ran that flipping mentorship, all of his long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals or at least a big portion of it mm-hmm. on the real estate side. So I got him on a call and we actually decided, I was very open at that time, or I still am, but I was open to moving wherever I needed to in the country. So I, he helped me decide on a market and then just, I, he showed me the numbers that his short-term rentals were making. So I was like, oh, okay, instead of owning 10 long-term rentals, I can own one unique short-term rental and essentially do the same cash flow. So that's what really drew me to the short-term rental stuff. And then what really drew me to my market, he just helped me decide to move here to Asheville. Literally the day I got out of the military, I I moved straight here, got my broker's license. And what really got me into short-term rental development was I was look, I started for looking for a short-term rental for myself immediately. I had some money saved up, but not too much. So what I realized was everything was either way out of my price range, or if it wasn't my price range, it wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. Like there was nothing unique about it, nothing, no, no draw or anything. And that's, that's to this day, that's what I believe in terms of investing and developing. So my very first real estate investment outside of flipping a couple properties was a short-term rental development ground up from nothing. And then one turned into two, two turned into four, brought on some investors, did some JVs. And just today alone, we're, we're developing 10 million in real estate, just in short-term rentals. And then next year, I'm looking to triple that. So it's interesting. So what will be probably a couple of months when the, by the time this episode airs, yeah. Uh, there was an episode I did with Jack Gibson who talks about, he has a core business in the health and nutrition space. If I remember right, he's got, he invests in crypto, he invests in real estate. He, but one of the things he does is he turned his, he had some real estate investments and they won't turn rentals, right? He, he, he bought to, to rent, they had no long leases, that kind of stuff. And he's turned almost that entire portfolio into, into short-term rentals. And he says, on average, he's tripling his, his profits, right? Right. So it's interesting that there are a number of people who are getting into it. But again, as I said, sort of in the intro, most of the people I know who don't get a buying existing, uh, is not developing for it. So what has you, what had you decide to go to development route and what advantages does that provide? Right. I mean, obviously, I mean, at a high level, I, I can say, I'm sure you can build 
the way you want to build, right? Uh, but like specifically, what's what can you do that make those units more attractive than than you can do just buying existing real estate stock? Yeah. So I mean, like I mean, you already said it. The first thing was you just have complete control over it, but. Also, just I'm, I'm a firm believer in developing unique properties. I only develop permanent foundation stick built houses. So like we could sell them off if we needed to pretty easily. But I love investing in log cabin or developing log cabins, A-frames, chalets, barn style type of houses. Those yeah. tend to do really well. We're playing around with tree houses right now in terms of like houses on stilts that are marketed as tree houses. You can get financing on those. But yeah, the, the complete control over it, you can up, especially with how expensive it is now. I mean, compared to pre-COVID, it, I don't think we're ever going to get back to those numbers of both labor and materials costs. Sure. But you can completely optimize a floor plan. Like we have one floor plan. Our very first cabin, our A-frame was 800 square foot. We developed it with the land and turnkey for like 250,000. That thing throws off about 47,000 in net a month or a year, sorry, a year. So after debt service, everything, it, th- it, it essentially paid for itself in four years. But right. I had a loan on it. So you can, in, like, we we also purchase property. So, like, I'm not against that, but we like to purchase property that has some sort of acreage attached to it where we can do future development on. But, yeah, just complete control over the type of style. You can't find A-frames or any of those properties I just talked about right now. And those, those we like to develop properties that are an experience in themselves outside of the the market that the guest is visiting. That helps with seasonality as well. So when you say, so let's delve into that a little more. When you say that are an experience in and of themselves, what are some of the characteristics that, I mean, you mentioned, is it just that they're log cabins or they're tree houses? Like the interesting, just types of, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the architecture factors, is, you know, the, in yeah, the architecture is huge. The, in, in, the interior design, we like to play with murals and accent walls and stuff like that. The, the encompassing thing, I like to say Instagrammable properties, a property that you wouldn't, you would be proud of sharing on your social media. You're like, wow, check out this really cool thing. I'm this really cool property I'm staying in. But within that also being able to offer like full amenities, whether it be a full kitchen, full bathrooms and stuff like that. So like, we're, we're not like in the, in, I teach on some of the glamping things that you can do with like the yurts and stuff, but I'm more, I'm more of like the, the, permanent foundation. This is a house that you can stay in. Got it. And, yeah. and is it, is it mainly, is Airbnb your main platform mm-hmm. or, you yeah. know, is it, no, I, I love this question. So I am not, so we still get, most of our business still comes from Airbnb, uh, VRBO. In the yeah. last year and most of the market or a big part of the market, the people who are the big players in this game are really shifting into direct bookings. Which is funny because it's practically going full circle now. Right. And a lot of that, yeah, it's going full circle where before VRBO, Airbnb existed in 2006, Airbnb 2008, I think VRBO 2006, you had to pick up a a phone to to book a short-term rental. Short-term rentals have been around forever. It's just, it's just become easier to book them through channels like Airbnb and VRBO. I look at Airbnb and VRBO as the marketing arm to your business. It is not where your business or your property should live at. So how do you get around that? So d- direct booking is uh, like building a direct booking website is essential. And the easiest way to capture leads where you don't have to market or do Facebook ads or anything crazy is one, influencer marketing is huge. Getting some people that already have some sort of travel YouTube channel and you essentially trade your vacancy days for for uh, content. Phenomenal. It's, it's a win-win. Nobody loses money. Maybe you pay for the cleaning fee, $100, $200. That's whatever. The amount of income that you get from 
just someone posting on a YouTube channel that has 100,000 subscribers, it will skyrocket. And then on top of that, what we do is we use a service called StayFi, which is a little disk that plugs into the back of your router and it creates a landing page for your internet. So it's like you're checking into an airport, a hotel, Starbucks. You have to log into the internet to get access to it through your email address. So one of our properties sleeps 14 people. Usually if I would have just, one person would have booked the property, I would have just gotten their email. Right. Now everybody's going to log into the email. You're going to get 14 and mail yeah, addresses. We, we have 14 people. Nobody's ever complained about it. It's a, it's a yeah. custom landing page with a beautiful blah, blah, blah. So it's not like gimmicky or anything. And that way there's nothing in Airbnb. And I, I post, uh, I'm a writer for Bigger Pockets for their short-term rental content. And I yeah. taught on this. And there were some crazy comments, people like quoting Airbnbs, like sir, like their, their contract and blah, blah, blah. And from what I've read, there's nothing against taking them off of the platform after they stayed with you. Right. And that, that, that's the biggest thing that I hear. Right, right. You, 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 can't, you, can't you can't have them inquire about staying with you and then move them off the platform. Right. Book that booking. Right. That's but the there's nothing starts. wrong. It's, it's like email marketing where... You are, you are advertising on Facebook, you're advertising on Google, and then you offer some sort of free something to get the email address and then you remarket to them. It's the exact same way, except we're using brick and mortar real estate. So then we take those emails and we'll do like anywhere between, we don't, we, we do like email blasts, like six to nine of them throughout the whole year. And it's just, it's just seasonal emails that are anticipating the holiday two or three months in advance. But yeah, that's to answer your original question, because I just went off on a tangent there. I look, I just like to look at an Airbnb and VRBO as a marketing um, piece oh, to your business, because then they control your whole company at that point, if you're just on one platform. Well, it's really, there's so much in what you said, and I want to break down some of it. So first of all, and you, and you do the analogy to social media sites, but it's really true. And if you listen, if you speak to anybody who trains in authority marketing, they always say, yes, yeah, you want to use the LinkedIn's and Facebook's and Twitter's and Instagram's because that's where the people are and it's, you know, but it's rented land, right? Yes. It's rented land that you don't control. So yeah. people get cut off because they, they do deem you to be across, well, they change the algorithm and the stuff that you were doing. So the goal always is to try to pe move people off of rented land to own land, right? To get them into your email. Right. Don't, don't build your property on someone else's land is, yeah, is what exactly. Mark Simpson so, says. Yeah. Right. That's right. So they say that as a metaphor in the social, in the social media space and the authority marketing space, you know, it's interesting because the metaphor is a real estate metaphor and it really relates to what you're talking about. So that's one thing that's really fascinating and it, and it, and it, and it definitely makes sense. It's the same kind of conversation and saying, Hey, yeah, let's, let's use these platforms that's under their terms and services, but let's also get people into our, our directly owned ecosystem so that we can you know, own that client relationship and build, build that direct relationship. Yeah. And you just mentioned the algorithm. Airbnb just completely redesigned their website in the summer and things were screwed up for a little bit before they fixed it. And yeah. people saw just a tank in their bookings in that like a um, month or two. So it's yeah. like, it, the, there's the example right there. So, so I love it. Let me break down a few other things that you mentioned because there were sort of deals within the deals here. Right. And I love to yeah. uh, have people's minds go and see how they can apply it, even if they're in different business, right? So obviously you said several things, right? You do, you're doing development. That's a deal, right? There are, right. you may be, and I know from our- And there's a lot of money in just land purchasing alone and how to well, structure right. that. And, and, yeah. and you're syndicating that, right? It's not all your own money. You're raising some outside capital. Yeah. So they're all JVs. I, yeah. They're, they're all, I do, I just do one partner at a time and what then I'm working with yeah. a couple so of funds that have their own a, syndications. Yeah. Right. So. But it's a JV. So, so yeah. that's a deal, right? You got to do a deal yeah. with your JV partner. What do they get? What do you get as the promoter? What do they get as the money? All that kind of stuff. Um, 
So we can talk maybe a little bit, obviously you don't need to reveal any specific deals, but you, but if there's anything about those models that you're, yeah, absolutely. You know, that'd be interesting to talk about. So that's one deal. You also talked about the, the fact that, uh, that you, you build these things, right? Are you taking out after that point, do you take out any permanent financing on that or, or are you? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, they're, they're I'm married. I'm married to my investors for eight to 10 years. Like it's a long-term hold, but we can, yeah, we can do depending on what the terms are. Um, and also we have like my wife and I have our own projects that we are hundred percent owners and sure. we'll, 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 we'll do cash out refinance. I mean, probably not right now, but we'll do cash out refinances just to pull equity out, and put them into the next deal. Or if we want to pay off a car or something like that. Yep. So that's another deal. And then the other thing you mentioned is, is, is influencer deals, right? We've talked about on this, on the Quest podcast with some folks, influencer deals. And it's interesting because you're doing the influencer deals as barter deals, right? Yeah. That's a, so yeah, that's it's, an influencer it's, it's a win-win. We're, we're, yeah, we're losing. I just did one right before we hopped on the podcast together. I reached out. There's a, actually a platform called Stayamo, and I, I know the CEO, but Stayamo literally connects everyone to, um, with that. But it's it's so it's, some of them do like you have to pay some money to, for them to come on. But I would say 80% of them, you're trading the days that weren't going to get booked for marketing. It's a win-win because they get to stay with it. A lot of these people are a little bit nomadic where they're, yep. they'll do like these bush, big three-month pushes with travel and stuff. But outside of the stay-fi thing with capturing emails, I have never, in the six, six, seven years I've been doing this, I haven't seen a better business model so far and how to promote a unique property than that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, you're, you're taking something that is of value to the influencer, but doesn't cost you Hardly anything. Yeah. Maybe right. a cleaning fee, whatever. Right. Because that's unused inventory, unused stays, but it's really valuable to them. And then of course, right. You're leveraging into their, into their, their network. And, and uh, I, I love, I love what you just said there about, cause I look at my days as unused and I look at my days as inventory, which a lot of people think like vacancy, blah, blah. It's like, no, I have, I have 365 items in each property that I need, which is a day. And I, I look, it's like, how do I get rid of my inventory? Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And, and, and so uh, I want to, again, there's so many things I want any listeners to this podcast know that I often talk about the mindset of a deal maker, right? And what's the mindset of a deal maker? Folks right there, what you just heard Alex say is a great example of the mindset of a deal maker, right? Somebody who's not a deal maker is going to sit there saying, you know, I got these vacancies and whatever, right? Alex says, no, I've got inventory, right? And so then the question comes up, if you have inventory, what do I do with it? Oh, wait a second. I can take some right. of that inventory and do these influencer barter deals, right? I don't know if there's anything else you do with the inventory, but, but, but it's an interesting point because I, I try to, I talk about it generally, but then I try to illustrate it when, but for the listeners, when people show a specific way that I think a, a deal maker sucks to think, right? And that right. shift from vacancy to inventory is a great example of the, of a deal maker's mindset, because now you have an opportunity to, to leverage that, that, uh, that inventory and you do, and in a very effective way. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's a fun, fun, fun stuff. Good. Very good. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So 
right, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, up until very recently, right? People who are initiated or uninitiated in the space may be able to easily see how this model has worked well, right? Real estate markets have been going up. Interest rates were historic lows. Cost of capital was low. So if you're doing development, you can get those. There was a lot of money out there. You had just the maturing industry and the increase of the use of, of short-term rentals, the, the whole Airbnb, VRBO, short-term rental market generally becoming more popular, right? People moving away from hotels, all that kind of, all those trends. Uh, even during the pandemic, even though in the beginning there was a dip when people weren't going anywhere, if anybody tried to get an Airbnb during the pandemic, like it was crazy. Like it actually became a better business, more expensive during the pandemic, right? So the trends were all great. So I remember, and I've quoted this a number of times, and it always bothers me. I don't remember the name of the guy, but there was a panel many, many years ago of like three billionaires at one seminar that I went to, and they all had major troubles, gone bankrupt, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And they came back, like they were billionaires and they were at least very successful. And then they came, went down and they were all rebuilt to be even more successful billionaires again. And one of the, the, I think, profound things that one of them said to me when somebody asked them, what was the biggest mistake you made on why you ran into trouble the first time? And his comment was, I mistook a, a bull market for brilliance. Okay. Yeah, and I love that quote because, listen, when the market's strong and everything's going good, we all look like geniuses, right? Um, absolutely. So now let's talk about some of the forces, some of the headwinds, some of the things that people are concerned about. You and I both sort of agreed in our in our prior conversation that we don't like to bring up the word recession because it could be self fulfilling. So is it? But whatever this new evolution is, right? We know some things have changed. Um, interest rates have gone up significantly, right? That pushes cost of capital up. There are concerns about the stock market has been taking a hit. There are concerns about what's going to happen with people's disposable income and whether it's, you know, listen, unemployment's still very low, employment's very high, that's the positive side, but will that be impacted? So at some point, there are some forces that could potentially affect the demand, right? People, how much people will travel and and use, use short-term rentals. What do you see with the caveat that we, none of us can predict the future, but obviously you're in this business. So you have to be thinking about and trying to anticipate the trends, trying to hedge against any downsides. So what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What are you concerned about? What are you doing to maybe hedge against it? What do you think maybe people don't see that's maybe more positive than they think? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest, so let's go pretty broad here to your whole audience. So I, when I started this business, it, I looked at it as the same thing that I, I underwrite my properties. You need to plan your business like you were already starting the business in a recession, even if you were in the best bull market in history. So that's, I mean, that's that's how I was. I, I obsessed aggressively on, I was too young when 2008 and nine happened in terms of like I was in middle school and high school. And so I, I obsessed aggressively on reading on the history of what caused there's a phenomenal book called The History of the United States in the Last Five Crashes that I had read prior to COVID. And that that one, it, it's just the same thing. Like history repeats itself. It rhymes and blah, blah, blah. So I look at my numbers and I say, okay, it, it probably will do 90%. It probably will do 95% occupancy. But what happens when it does 60%? Do the numbers still work? So it's like, I, I, I'm very, very conservative on my break-even occupancies and my expense ratios. And another thing is, I mean, just because, so like we were talking about prior to this, we just got a deal under contract that was well below list price. Things are going on sale right now. So it's like, as do not, now it's going to be harder to underwrite a deal right now, 
but do not discount whatever your whatever industry you're in. Do not discount. Hey, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines right now until things get better because things are going to get more competitive again. So I'm, the, I'm a bigger pockets writer for their blog for their short term rental content. And the very first article I ever wrote was back in June for them on what's ha- like what happens to short term rentals when a recession happens and blah, blah, blah. People don't stop traveling. They just instead of taking the freaking one week, two week trip to Europe, they'll take an extended week vacation. It within two to three hours of wherever they live. So that's one of the things I teach my students is I don't, people say, okay, this won't work in my market. A lot of times my students are in like busier metro markets. I always like to say, think of a market that people like to take an extended weekend vacation in your city. So if you're in New York, people like to go up to upstate. If you're in New York City, people like to go to upstate New York. If you're in San Diego, people like to go to Big Bear Lake. Those are the two extremes I like to use. And then there are those pockets that exist everywhere that you're going to know better than any coach or whoever you talk to and or any book you read. And those markets are going to do really well in recessions, especially if you're if you're developing unique properties because people don't stop traveling. Um, so that's that's always been my thing um, is is investing in unique markets that are in your sort of in your backyard with with unique properties. Warren Buffett, we talked about this before. Warren Buffett has a phenomenal quote that says, more money has been lost in anticipation of recessions than actual recessions. And that that is 100% sure. I remember I was going through my CCIM back in 2019 and people for 2017, 18, 19, recession, recession, recession. And then we hit the biggest bull market ever. Even We were already in a phenomenal market. And then it just got even crazier after COVID. I don't really recommend too many books, but one of the best books I've re- uh, read on just economics in general is the creature from Jekyll Island. It's, it's just, it just talks about just how our money system works. It could be looked at as a conspiracy theory book, but there's 120 pages of references at the end of the book. So there, yeah, it's, it's, if you understand how our money system works, what happened with COVID and how much money we printed, it's pretty easy to predict what happens down the road. Not, not, not within like six months or a year, you can't predict the timelines, but it's pretty easy to predict, okay, this is probably what's gonna happen next. Mm. Yeah. Well, great. So you feel between the, the way you buy the, the law of the lower occupancy, the fact that even though interest rates have gone up, so cost of capital has gone up, the, uh, obviously, yeah, the, I mean, the clear, there's usually a clear relation between that and prices cooling down in real estate. Right. So that's, there's always that, that positive. And it's interesting. This is more on the corporate side, but I was talking about this on one of the prior episodes, because I did some research at when they, when that R word started coming up in 2001, right? Oh, we're going to be, you know. And, and you're right, because obviously, listen, I mean, in 2021, 2022 stock market, at least, is just taking a hit. This is a correction, all right, whatever. I mean, I think most people I know who are smart are putting their money into the long term and not trying to beat the market anyway, because it's such an efficient market. We have no control, unlike real estate. So it'll come back. But but the point is that there is, at least on the corporate deal side, there has been no correlation between interest rates and deal, and deal volume. Interesting. Okay? There's been super high interest rate environments where there's been huge deal volume, lower deal volume. The deals just shift and change, right? There's always opportunities. Again, the mindset of a deal maker, right? You, you just you just have to look at it differently. And, and listen, we all know there's a, a million examples. So some of the biggest companies have come out of down markets because that's where absolutely that's what you the know, opportunities. Are. Airbnb Airbnb started in 2008, <laughs> right? Like, Right. That's it. I, I we underwrote a, I underwrote a deal this morning with one of my investors at an eight percent interest rate, and I, I I underwrote another deal with a different investor, and I was this was when the second three quarter interest rate hike happened, 
And I was a little hesitant on, do you still want to go through with the financing? And he's like, the very first real estate investment I ever purchased was at a 14% interest rate in the 80s. So it's like, deals can still stand on their two feet. You just got to underwrite them. Just don't be scared to do it. Right, right. Very good, very good. Okay, so so you're moving ahead despite the changes, the evolving market. We said in the intro, you have a plan to do, was it 300, 600? Cabins. Yeah, 600, 650 between between yeah. acquisition and development. In the next three years. Yep, next three years. Wow. I love it. And is that, in terms of geography, I know you focused in the initial area. Is that, are you thinking? Or are you yeah, expect, Western, Western North Carolina. I like any mountain market. Mountain markets tend to do better. And then we're also looking at some international stuff. But mountain markets tend to do better than beach markets. Like they're a little bit less seasonal. Like I said, Usually the log cabin becomes the attract, like there's nothing more iconic than a log cabin in a hot tub in the winter, right? Right, right. So, and then during the summer, people still like to stay in the log cabin, but the, the, the market helps with that. It's a little bit less seasonal during, during the high season. So yeah, yeah, it's not going to be the 650 are not going to be all in this specific market. I, I, we are going into Western North Carolina in general, because there's a lot of phenomenal markets within even 30, 45 minutes of us, like those little pockets that I was talking about. But yeah, I, I have some students that we coach and stuff. So I, I, I have plans on potentially doing deals internationally and also throughout the whole country, just through some of those students that we're already teaching. Love it. Yeah. So no matter how successful people are, they always have, not, not every deal goes, goes well. There's always one or yeah. two or five, or maybe, or maybe even 25, yeah. like where you're doing thousands of deals, you know, I mean, it's, it's successful people, small percentage, but do you have a, do you have, do you have one that went bad or? or yeah, it went bad. It went bad before. Sorry. Yeah. It went bad. It was, it went bad before we went under contract, but we yeah. were under the assumption for like three months and we got dragged out for three months that, that, that we were going to get it under contract and essentially our contract that we submitted finally was just used to shop around with other investors and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, there's just been some small losses. It's just in real estate development. It's like, even if I have a one, a phenomenal one-on-one mentor, but you don't know what you don't know in real estate development. So a lot of mistakes are, are paid for with, with money and capital. But usually those, I mean, those deals are the ones that you learn the most from. You're like, okay, we just got our shit. We just got our teeth kicked in. That's not going to happen. This, 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 and this is never going to happen again. So yeah, it was just, just getting dragged out and just, just learning how some people can be terrible during a bull market just because they could ask for the moon. So, yep. 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 So how do you identify properties to be able to to develop? Uh, How do you find locations? Yeah, this is another one of my favorite questions. So again, you've already identified your market or your pocket and you want to be thinking about I always say you got to think of the whole guest experience. What it was, so what does that mean? That that means the drive to and from the property into wherever they're visiting. We invest in a little bit more rural areas. We do that because Asheville, North Carolina actually doesn't allow for short-term rentals. So we stay within the county, which actually helped us during COVID because people got pushed out of the metro cities into more rural markets. So people are a little bit more comfortable driving in mountain markets into the city. So what the biggest, and like I was saying, the, the entire guest experience is important. So you, you don't want your guests to be driving 30 minutes up a gravel road to get to the property. You don't, a lot of times, and you're laughing because you probably have an experience like that. Yeah, a lot of times the guest is new to the area. A lot of times they're maybe going to lose reception. 
A lot of times they're driving in at night. You don't want them annoyed and pissed by the time they get to your property. Right. Uh, and then they're going to be thinking about that road. I've seen it with other hosts. It's like the, the, the property, whether you're purchasing an already built property, property looks phenomenal. It's perched on top of a mountain with a 360 mountain view. It's probably going to take an hour to get to that property. Same thing with the land. The land looks phenomenal. It's a good price, but you have to drive out there. You have to, you have to experience the drive. I put, I'll put the land before we go under contract, I'll put the land into Google maps, Apple maps and see what comes up. And then I'll physically drive to the property now. So I, I like to be off of a double lane state maintained road. If not, we've put in like a quarter mile gravel road in before up to half a mile. I don't like to go over half. It's like, I like to be off of a paved road. So like, you got to think of the whole guest experience. And land, like finding land that way is, is the best way to do it. It's a little bit tedious. You can get your real estate agent to do it for you if you tell them what your parameters are. But I, I always drive, especially with me, with, with the lofty goals that I have, I've realized the best use of my time is like developing six to 12 cabins at the same time, sort of in a clustered development. With me developing, say like 12 cabins, anywhere between four to six million in development costs for those 12 cabins, I'm going to go look at that land if I'm dropping six million dollars in a project so that I'm still not above that. Like I'm I'm not gonna delegate that. Now that's your point. What made me chuckle was this is way before the short term rental market. It was like thirty five years ago. I had a ski share in Vermont near Killington and it was actually at the top, it was these condos at the top of Round Top Mountain, which used to be an operating small ski area that went out of business. Yeah. So it had a couple of like overgrown ski runs on it. And it was literally a mile and a quarter road that had switchbacks going up, okay? Uh, if you didn't have four-wheel drive in the winter, you would not get up that road. And even with four-wheel drive, it was an adventure. There were a couple of parts <laughs> where you had, had a curve without a railing where you could easily slide okay. off. Like it was it was an adventure getting up there. And we used to have to pick up like guests who didn't have the right cars. We'd have to go down the mountain and go get them. So yeah, was, I'm not about that. Not yeah. experience. For us, of course, it was it was relatively inexpensive. We were in our twenties. It was perfect for that because we were looking, we got like six months. Yeah. You get people from Florida that have never seen any type of incline though. And then they freak out. Yeah. 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 So it was fun because we used to, we used to take our rock skis and ski down. When there was good snow, we'd ski down the old overgrown runs and then drive the car back up and ski down. Yeah. So, so it was an adventure at that time, but it was certainly, it was certainly not a short-term rentable Problem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Imagine I mean, if you had like wife and kids and you were coming in at night, like it, oh, it, it terrifying. Yeah. Trust me, we've been, yeah. So I just brought back that memory. So talk to me a little bit about the, so we talked about, we talked about your approach. We talked about what you think is going to happen in the future. What, what are some of the, going back to what we talked about earlier with the investors, um, not specific terms, what, what, but what's the, what's the sort of general deal structure that you work with a JV partner, investor partner in these deals? Yeah. So I learned, I learned very early on, you should be purchasing the land cash, like purchasing and then using that land as collateral to qualify for the loan. You go through two closings that way, but you have way more flexibility, especially with like what's happening with the markets and interest rates. We've had a couple of deals fall through in terms of we tried to tie the land with the, the financing, with the construction loan, and it just, the whole deal had fallen apart. So I've learned, learned that earlier, that lesson Fortunately, with my own deals first, where I, when I started taking on investor capital, that was number one. So we say like, we say a project, we need $300,000. A lot of times we'll purchase a piece of land for 250,000. Then that land becomes the collateral. I take over the development. I take over the management after it's done. I have my separate management company. 
And then they are a completely passive investor and they, they understand that even, even my investors that are local understand that obviously I can't control them visiting the property to check up on it. I completely understand you're put giving me 300 grand of your own money. But yeah, that, the deals are, are pretty simple. I mean, my very first deals were 50-50 across the board with no management fees because I couldn't guarantee the loans myself at that point. So the investor would come in with the capital and the guarantor, and then I would do all the work. And then people, people who are just starting out, that's a, a pretty simple thing to do. I would recommend putting some sort of management fee in there, maybe like a three to 5% if you're just starting. Because if it's just like three or four properties, you're probably going to be the, and you don't have, you have all the time in the world, you'll probably be the manager of those properties. Right now we've kept a pretty lean team. Like I have nobody on staff. Every, everything is subbed out. Even my cleaners, my, my maintenance per people, everything is subbed out. But yeah, that's how my first couple, my first three JVs were like that. And now I've partnered with. I, re- I did a big capital push last in the beginning of this year, early of la- late last year. And I realized that I don't really like, it's not that I don't enjoy talking to investors and accrediting them, blah, 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 and raising the capital. I just realized the best use of my time is putting together these deals and especially managing them and optimizing. We talked about like the influencer marketing. That's what I enjoy doing. So I've teamed up with a couple of funds, one out of New Orleans, one out of LA and one out of Michigan. I had a call with one of them, the Michigan one this morning on a deal we got under contract. We underwrite the deal. I underwrite the deal and then we underwrite the deal together and they make their own assumptions and everything. And then we just, we go in it together. I get 50% or whatever, depending on what the numbers work, I get a big portion of the joint, the, the general partnership. We offer a preferred return to our investors and then their, their partners and they get the other side too. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, so let's take it from one other point of view before I ask you my final two questions. So a lot of our listeners are in other businesses, right? Like they might be, we have a big following in the investment advisor world. Some people manage money, we have yeah. tech, uh, clients, we have clients in all kinds of industries. And, 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 and now this podcast has blown up so much that we have all kinds of listeners from all kinds of backgrounds. And yeah, some of these people are listening right now through the year of how do I get into this business and doing what Alex does, whether it's buying existing properties or doing development for short-term rental. But, but I'm sure there are plenty of them who will never, ever do that, but are looking potentially at, at diversification strategies for their investments, right? Because yeah. a lot of us, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of my clients have a lot of their net worth tied up in their own business. Maybe they've dabbled in some of the kinds of real estate investment. Obviously, maybe they, they probably have some money in the stock market, you know, playing in the crypto space a little bit. But from an investor's point of view, what should they be looking at in terms of when they're evaluating partnering with somebody like you or yeah, yeah. others in the industry, what, what should they be looking at from an investor's point of view? Yeah, I mean, the reputation of the, the the fund manager is incredibly important. That's why I started writing. I mean, I was very fortunate to get on like bigger pockets and stuff and write their content because they're, they're, that, that's a pretty big hammer right there in the in the real estate world. But what I've realized, that so I, when I did my big capital push uh, earlier this year, I mainly went on multifamily podcasts because I knew that multifamily was getting crushed and it honestly still is. And it was, I raised 5 million in 90 days just by making that transition for them about these are what my returns are compared to what the multifamily stuff was. And honestly, the the host was fine with that. A couple of the hosts I became partners with and the fund managers because that they they have made that transition. So what for your listeners, if they're looking to di- diversify, there there are a lot of fund managers that are getting into the short term rental space because they're completely getting crushed in self-storage, RV, multifamily, blah, 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 mobile home parks. Mobile home parks were really popular for a little bit until everyone got into them. But I think the short-term rental stuff is is starting to become 
the the newer thing that people are getting into, especially. I mean, you have to follow the money. Banks are banks are more comfortable with lending on stuff like this now. So if they're more comfortable on lending on stuff like this, then then investors are comfortable getting into it. So yeah, I mean, no matter what you're getting into, the reputation and the the reputation of the fund manager, and that's why I teamed up with those people. Is they had a reputation in the multifamily space. They did really well with. So I, I'm just piggybacking off that reputation. Love it. And I've, I've, I feel like I've done a pretty good job with my investments that I've done with my investors. So it's like the, my reputation is, is getting on these podcasts. I mean, I'm very fortunate that you had me on. And then same thing with teaching on bigger pockets. I'm a short-term rental coach as well, very part-time with some exclusive, like just on a couple people. So it's like the reputation is huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Love it. Love it. And, and what's from the investor point of view, what's the range of returns that somebody can expect on these kinds of? Yeah, we, we like to, we like to tackle, like, I mean, again, it's getting harder to find deals like this, but a 15 to 16% cash on cash is what we like to give our investors. So it's, like, good luck trying to find that right now. Like, yeah. So that, that's what, um, that's, that's the goal that we try to aim is a 15 to 16% annualized cash on cash. It might be a little lower with higher interest rates, but even if it's 10 to 12%, Sure. Good. Good luck trying to find that right now. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. People, people are after capital preservation. As a lot of investors that we're talking to, things are crazy right now. So it's like people are just looking. I just want to preserve the capital and ride out the storm. I mean, and I mean, they're not just preserving capital; they're making money. But they're they're comfortable taking some lower returns. That's better than a certificate of deposit or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, it's not like it's not like interest rates are flying up on the at banks or CDs, and despite the interest rates going up. Yeah, right, right. Interest rates going up, you're not going to see CDs I mean, going up. There's always a lag. The bank in changing interest rates environments, the banks do well because they always lag because there's both sides of the equation, right? What they lend out money and what they bring in money, and and they always lag what they're paying behind. It goes up more quickly on what they're what they're charging, so they do very well in those periods before the market right. starts demanding higher rates for them on their deposits. So in any case, we're in that part now where they're, where they're up on the lending side, but they haven't raised the uh, returns yeah. on, their, on their deposits yet. <laughs> so, for sure. Any case. Okay. So single last question, where can people find out more about, about you? Obviously you mentioned some of the content you put out, website, whatever you got, where, where should people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty active on my YouTube channel, Alex Builds. That's where, honestly, I, I, I was going out to my, I go out to my projects just to visit them once, once a week, maybe once every two weeks. So I just bring a video camera with me or I'll, I'll teach on short-term rental management on my computer. So Alex Builds is the YouTube channel. If you guys want to check out what I'm doing on some of the I put, I recently pushed out a course, but if, if people are, I know a lot of your listeners are pretty passive in a lot of the stuff that they do, but if you're looking to do it yourself, alexjarbo.com has all of my stuff. My past interviews, Sargon Investments is on, on alexjarbo.com. If you guys are looking, I'm not actively raising capital, but if you guys want to throw your name in the bin there from when I, for when I am, or if you guys are looking to invest like now, I can push you towards one of our fund managers that, that could help you with that. So that's alexjarbo.com, A-L-E-X-J-A-R-B-O dot com or Alex builds is the YouTube channel. Excellent. Excellent. So my final question, Alex, on the podcast is always about my highest ideal in life, which is freedom. And to me, that means everything from freedom from all people in the world from oppression to the reason why I haven't had a boss in tech aids and I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Yeah, it's, it's very funny because when you first start a business, right, you're, you're, you're in the trenches, you're working 60, 80, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Freedom is being able to step away from your business whenever you want and still have it run with, with successfully, probably even better without you. So one of, one of the 
most influential indirect influential indirect mentors I've had is Brian Page. Recently, Brian Page has, has built out a phenomenal short term rental community, and I I had the opportunity to shadow him about a, a month and a half ago. Um, and he, he they're they're doing very very well. But a, a month and a half ago, I had the opportunity to shadow him at, at his office in Charleston, South Carolina. And he leaves the office at four. It could be in the middle of a meeting. He's like, I'm wrapping up, guys. Wife's waiting for me. Gets to the office at nine, leaves at four. And that was one thing uh, I was telling my wife about. And she was like, hmm, that's very interesting. She's like, I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Right, but, uh, right. that, that, you wait until you're four o'clock then. Yeah, that's that's what, right. You, you, <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 the biggest thing is is freedom. Like you you build your business, right? And then you you could accidentally become a slave to your own business. So freedom is building your own business and that having that business fund your lifestyle and fund some of the flan, like, so, like giving back and everything, funding that, but also being able to step away from your business. That's true freedom is, is building a business that can sustain your lifestyle and build your lifestyle, but also being able to step away from it. Excellent. Yeah. Alex Jobo, thank you for being such a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.